0: Hey, all fans! fans. Uh, Orange and Blue News publisher Doug Bouchon here with Alec Bassi. Um, Exciting time of year, Alec. Um, training camp opens tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, this is my 12th year covering Illinois football, so the 12th season coming up. My first year was uh, Ron Zook's last year, way back when, when they used to have Camp Rantoul. But it's a good time of year. We get, we get to see a little bit of practice and Trying to figure out what this team is going to look like this this year in Brett Belima's second season, Uh, you know to just kick things off. What, what you what are you looking forward to most about training camp this year?
1: Well, I guess I kind of want to first comment six and 0 oh, oh and six. That's an exciting roller coaster of a first season. You got to go out to California for a bowl game, man. That's pretty. Then you get to cover a coaching search. Wow, what a whirlwind of a first couple months on the beat.
0: Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun year. You know, I got to know Coach Zook really well, and I felt I really actually felt bad for him when Mike Thomas came on board and basically announced that he, that that Zook was a lame duck. It, you know, his, when he when he came on board as the athletic director, and and uh, everything just kind of fell apart on him. They went over to Indiana, and they beat Indiana at Indiana to go six and zero for the first time in a long time. I don't I don't know the exactly when. They, it was that they were 6-0 and before that, maybe going all the way back to the Rose Bowl year of 1984. But, um, but um, yeah, everything just kind of fell apart. Lost the last six games and Coach Zook was fired and, and uh, the infamous Tim Beck took over the program. But, um, you know, those were fun times because Camp Rantoul was completely open to the public and to the media. We could watch everything every day. You know, they would have two, two days back then, um, they would do kind of a split squad practice where they had an orange team and a blue team that would come in and practice in separate practices. And it, w- it was just kind of a neat setup over there at Rantoul. Uh, you know, for the team, I think it's better just to have it on campus. You know, it's, it really takes a lot out of them to travel over there, sleep away from where they usually stay. And, and all, all of their amenities were, they had to move them over there. You know, they had the hot tubs over there that had, the uh, ice baths over there and everything and it, recovery was more difficult. And I think by the time camp was over at Camp Rantoul, they were, they were really tired and, and ready for, the, you know, ready to take a break. But, but then the season popped up real quick. Um, I, I like the way they do it now better for the team. But to, for us, it was a lot better to watch every practice.
1: Yeah, and you think about a lot of the resources the players have now with the Smith Center and the recovery and the training room they have there. And also, just I know out tool. they had a lot of open space for fields, but now they also have, you know, they have the Irwin Indoor Facility, which is an 80 yard or 100 yard field. They've got obviously the Memorial Stadium turf, which is brand new, and they'll be breaking that in. And then they have those outdoor fields as well, which aren't a full length, but it still gives you more space, right? Like they have space to be flexible. But I agree with you. I think in terms of the players and the setup is probably better now than it was back then. And I wasn't going to camper and tool back then. I was too young to be a young journalist at that point, but definitely remember hearing a lot about it and hearing a lot of you older guys talk about it on the beat and how fun it was to be out there to see the team practice and get ready for the season for all those hours. You don't get to see that as much anymore. Times change coaches like to keep things a secret coaches like to maybe not give media and journalists as many at Avenues for involvement, I guess you can kind of say, and just viewer viewing. And I think it it does make sense to me. I get why, like, you don't want a lot of that stuff getting out there. And I understand that and respect that. But at the same time, it makes our job harder. And I think it makes our relationship with the coaches and the players a little bit more difficult to build that level of trust. But yeah, training camp coming up on Saturday, it's obviously an exciting time. Like you said, entering coach year or Year two under Coach Bielema, it's awesome um, that he's kind of entering his second year. It feels like it's flown by. feels like yesterday he was being hired and he was watching that game out in Penn State. But year two, there's definitely a lot of storylines that we need to cover. We can kind of dive in here.
0: Yeah, as far as the media access, we get we get pretty much the same as we did last year. We get about 15 minutes every day where, where it's open to the media, and then we get to speak with select coaches and players after practice. And and uh, I understand why, why they do that. A lot of a lot of people talk about the playbook and not seeing the schemes that they're running, but I think more goes into it than that. I think with with the rise of social media and and, and uh, smartphones, you know, reporters are out there tweeting every time there's an injury on the field. Somebody limps off or is helped off the field, and um, and you I think also the coaches uh, coach differently when people are watching. You know, uh, you can't. I don't think you can coach quite as hard because. Uh, some reporters who might not have played sports, they don't get it when, you know, when you're doing some hard coaching on the field. So I understand why they're not, why they're not allowing full access to practices. I don't really have a problem with it, but uh, let's dive into what, um, what we think some of the keys are to the season. What what kind of things we're we going to be watching on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I think for me, the biggest key for Illinois. Is- they want to make it to a bowl game. And I think that that's kind of the spectrum that we're talking about here. Doug, is just the overall goal of just getting to a bowl game. And Coach, um, the second year, as he kind of talked about last year, his end for a bowl game. Even if first time in his career, if Illinois misses a bowl game this season, that he hasn't gone to bowl games in back-to-back years. Um, so that's obviously something to keep an eye on. But the biggest key to me for them to reach a bowl game is just their overall health. I think you look at the depth of so many positions on the team. You can look at quarterback. I think you can probably look at w- an offensive line. Obviously you can look at wide receiver. I have questions about the depth at tight end, you know, behind Luke Ford, how much confidence do we have in Tip Ryman or Michael Marquise and a Henry Boyer, or Owen Anderson to contribute in a big way if Ford were to get hurt. Um, and then on the defense, I think you look at the defensive line and there's questions there behind Johnny Newton Uh, Keith Randolph I think has a really high ceiling as well but even Jamal Woods like he's a good kind of floor person to have but he struggled to stay healthy I don't think he's ever played more than eight games in a year and he's a good like third option to have but you don't really have much after that Um, at D tackle you've got a couple bodies all pretty unproven and haven't shown a lot in their careers linebacker you're pretty thin I feel like you have three linebackers on the team and two of them are going to be starting and playing a lot in Tariq Barnes and Calvin Harton. If Isaac Darkangelo is your third, and you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. And you have younger guys as well to like get Dylan Rosiak. And, you know, maybe Shaman Cooper moves back to inside linebacker. He's currently at outside linebacker. We don't really know. And then defensive back, you're working on new people. I think you're confident in Quan Martin as your star. I think you're confident in Devin Witherspoon as your strong side or far side corner. Um, and I also think you're probably pretty confident in Sidney Brown, but you're not super confident in the depth because it's pretty unproven at a lot of positions. So, Not to give you the cliche answer when it comes to football and the biggest key of staying healthy, but for this team, if they're healthy, I think there's an opportunity they do go to a bowl game. Um, Obviously, some other pieces have to fall into place, but health is a huge thing for them because if they get a rash of injuries at a couple positions, I think you're really going to see some of the recruiting shortfalls that Lovie Smith's staff had. And then Coach Bielman just hasn't had an opportunity to really build the roster up through recruiting and they haven't done enough, in my opinion, in the transfer portal to improve the depth at a lot of the positions I just said.
0: Yeah, you know, I saw an interesting stat um, on the BTN broadcast of Big Ten Media Days, which is on Tuesday and Wednesday, and you and I were both over there. You were there on Tuesday, and I was at home watching it on TV, but um, uh, Howard Griffith brought up that Illinois only brings back 54% of their total uh, production from last year, when you consider both sides of the football. That kind of surprised me a little bit, because uh, there, there are, you know, there are quite a few kids returning, but um, when if you remember, Brett Bielema, um he kept all those guys who wanted to stay for their extra COVID year, and after last season, they were all gone, and that was a big chunk of players that they, that they lost, so there's always going to be turnover in college football, that's just the nature of the beast, kids graduate, kids go to the NFL early or whatever, but um, you know, hopefully some of these recruiting classes um, will overperform their ranking and, and they're, they're going to pull something out of some kids that you won't expect. Um, but uh, defensively, I'm not all that worried about defense. Um, I think they're going to continue to be uh, much better. They're a, they were a, middle of, a pack, middle of the pack defense in the Big Ten last year under uh, Ryan Walters first year as a D coordinator and uh, the change in scheme made a big difference. Uh, coach Walters is really good at figuring out how a kid fits, you know, and Ker- Kirby uh, he, um, is really the best example. He put him back, the, he put him at free safety where he really never played a whole lot before. And all of a sudden he's in a third round NFL draft pick. So, you know, um, I have a lot of confidence in Ryan Walters and I, I, I don't think he's going to be at Illinois for that long. I, th- I think he's going to be a head coach someplace in the very near future, but while he's here, the defense should be pretty good. Um, offensively, and I have this in my story on the front page in my, my five keys to the season the number one is passing efficiency. You know, I, I didn't even realize until I started looking, taking a deep dive into the statistics today, but, but, uh, they were a really terrible passing team last year with Brent, with in, didn't matter what quarterback was back there with Brandon Peters with Art Sikowski. Um, they, they were just not good. And, um, the, one of the biggest things was none of the quarterbacks performed well when they're when they're under pressure. You, know, you look at PFF and the, the completion percentage and the PFF rankings for Sitkowski and and um, Brandon Peters, and they were they were hovering around thirty percent past completion when, when they were under pressure or when they were blitzed. And that 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 comes down to decision making because Brandon Peters is actually a pretty decent athlete. There, there was no, there's no reason why he couldn't throw on the move, but he just he he just made bad decisions, and I hope that we don't see that um, from to, from uh, Tommy um, uh, Devito this year. And you look back at his stats at Syracuse, and even though he is a mobile quarterback and good athlete, he he also had some issues making decisions on the move. So they're going to have to protect the quarterback. They're going to have to get something out of some wideouts that we didn't expect because it's it's not a very deep or a very talented group of wide receivers. So, you know, the getting that passing game going is the reason they brought in a new offensive coordinator. It's the reason Tony Peterson is coaching in Bloomington Normal now instead of Champaign, and, and that's just a huge key for him this season on offense.
1: Yeah, I think I remember just watching how anemic the Illinois offense was last year, especially in their passing options, and just it felt like Tony Peterson was often talking about hitting those deep shots and the importance of hitting those deep shots. And obviously, didn't hit a lot of those last year, unless it was to do span. I know they had the one late in the year against Northwestern, where Isaiah Williams got open deep across the middle and just kind of trotted into the end zone, right? But like, Illinois quarterback play has been really, really poor over the last, I think, decade. I wrote a story a few weeks ago, and I don't remember the exact number, but I think I want to say it was like eleven or something. They've had eleven different starting quarterbacks since 2013 or the end of the Nate Shieldhouse era. That's a lot of quarterbacks to start. And I think a majority of them have been transfers, at least the guys you have brought in to be your starter. You look at Brennan Peters, transfer from Michigan. You look at, you know, A.J. Bush. He comes in as a transfer quarterback as well. And even Art Sikowski, a guy who started last year, another transfer. And he started as, you know, because Peters got hurt. But then he also took the starting job when Illinois won that game out there at Penn State, and he didn't finish it because of the broken right wrist. I mean, DeVito comes in quarterback this coming year from Syracuse and the passing offense has to be better for Illinois to be better in 2022 than it was in 2021. I mean, if you just look at some of the stats that Illinois had last year, I mean, they were 14th in the Big Ten and average yards per game and about 155, 160, somewhere in that area. They were like 13th in the Big Ten and completion percentage around 51%. Um, yards per attempt less than six that was 12th in the Big Ten that's just an ugly number they only had they only had 13 touchdowns just six interceptions and I was talking with Howard Griffith at Big Ten Media Days actually and he was just like the biggest thing for Illinois entering this year he thinks in his opinion is quarterback play and quarterback play can, over, can cover up so many issues that you have on offense and if you got a good quarterback it can kind of cover up bad pass or bad pass catchers because he's at getting the ball to him and if you've got a good quarterback you can kind of cover up a poor run game which I don't think Illinois is going to have with Chase Brown and Josh McCray and a good stable of backs but a good quarterback can kind of also cover up a bad offensive line and Tommy DeVito needs to be a good big Ten quarterback but I don't know how good he needs to be Doug I think you kind of look at it and you're like is, is, is playing like a Tanner Morgan-ish level good enough for Illinois this coming year at quarterback I mean Tanner Morgan's Last year was around the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the big 10. And is that good enough for Illinois to get to a bowl game? I don't know. Maybe it is, but they need to have more consistent quarterback play for them to be able to have success this year.
0: Well, um, I think Brad Bielema saw what I saw. And that's the reason, and that's the reason as soon as the season was over, he fired Tony Peterson. And that is that the the play design and the play calling was a big part, a big reason um, why why the passing game was was not effective at all. And yeah, it does come down to t- having talented quarterbacks who can deliver the ball. But but um, any of these guys have this arm strength t- t- just to throw the ball to an open receiver on, on a quick hitter or something like that. You know the the combinations yeah. the combinations of routes that they ran um, and when they ran them, what down the distance they ran them. They just didn't make a lot of sense in that. And that's why, that's why they got a new offensive coordinator. And, and um, if you're going back, if you remember the Purdue game and the Maryland game quarterback play cost them, both of those football games, they were, they ended the game on the 19 yard line against Purdue with a chance to win. And uh, Brandon Peters was, it, I think it was Peters. It was Peters. Uh, it was Brandon Peters threw two passes in a row to nobody, just, just way over the head of the receiver. didn't even give a guy a chance. Uh, and, you know, you got to know the game situation and uh, he, He just seemed to uh, forget it and melt down a little bit on the last couple of plays. And then Maryland, they had the ball also last driver of the game, a chance to win. And, and uh, they were in their own territory, but they went backwards in three plays and then turned it over on fourth down and the game was over. So, but um, you know, we mentioned how good does the quarterback need to be one? I think previous offensive coordinators put too much on the back of a quarterback and, and, and assumed that that guy could could handle it and be the be the key in the forefront of the offense. Um, Rod Smith, the, his whole offense was predicated on quarter, quarterback to making the right read. A lot of hot routes where the wide receiver and the quarterback have to be, make the same read. They have to run the route that the quarterback expects them to run, and then they throw the ball to the spot. And uh, that just did not click. And you know they haven't had quarterbacks who have that kind of savvy. And the, the whole offense just kind of melts down when, when you're putting that much on the back of the QB. And, you know, I think they just need a guy maybe like like Iowa always has, just a guy who is not flashy, um, doesn't make huge, big plays. But he they get the ball to the open receiver uh, and just make, let the receiver make a play. And they have guys who can do that. Isaiah Williams is a guy, if you get it to him on a bubble screen or on a quick slant, um, he can break him. You know, he can make guys, he can make the first guy miss. He's really elusive in open field. In the past, during the Levy regime, and you hate to keep ragging on Levy Smith, but in the past, they would try one play to Isaiah and, and then go away from him if it didn't work. You know, they'd bring him in, and everybody knew he was coming in to get the football, They'd throw, they'd get him the ball, and he, he'd lose yards or gain one yard and go back to the bench, and that's just not, I mean, you gotta, you got to stick with it and keep giving that guy the ball because he's going to break one sooner or later. And then you have a guy who, um, uh, who is the number one tight end in the country, coming out of high school in Carterville, Illinois, at Luke Ford, and went to Georgia, and probably could have been a good player at Georgia, but uh, got homesick and wanted to come back and be close to his grandpa, who was sick at the time, and they they have not given the guy the ball, and part of it is Luke's fault because Luke hasn't really studied hard enough on route running, and hasn't really polished his game. But he he's a spectacular athlete. You know, when you watch him warm up, you see an NFL tight end. And I've seen a lot of tight ends come through Illinois, and I've seen a lot of tight ends on the teams that Illinois really played who ended up playing on Sundays. And Ford's one of the better ones that I've seen from a physical standpoint. He's got great hands. He's fast. He's big. He's physical. But he just he's just one of those guys that doesn't have the it factor and uh, hasn't and hasn't polished his route running. If they can get something out of him and throw him the football and make him happy. Um, I think he can have a big year, his final year here in Champaign, but um, he hasn't lived up to his high school billing so far.
1: Yeah, I think you make a lot of really good points there, talking about the offense and the scheme and the failures. Let's call it what it is that it had last year. It, It failed at getting the ball to playmakers, and I think that's ultimately why We saw Tony Peterson lose his job when you think about the grand scheme of things, Isaiah Williams was the only wide receiver with more than 300 yards last year, Daniel Barker. um, I'm really high on his talent. I think he should be an NFL type wide receiver as a tight end, like a pass catching tight end in the NFL. I think he has that kind of talent and Tony Peterson completely failed to use him. He should have been Illinois leading receiver or second leading receiver a year ago and probably should have been used a lot more in the red zone than he was. And he's gone and he's at Michigan state now program that is probably going to use him better. And it puts a lot of pressure now on what Barry Lenny wants to do in the new offensive scheme. And think about how much trouble Illinois had last year. And like you said, bubble screens, just a simple screen pass out to Isaiah Williams or Casey Washington, or, you know, even a Pat Bryant at points in the end of the year when he was on the field, a good amount. And even Daniel Barker, because he is fast and he's big and you could have used him in those kind of situations. And they didn't do that. And I think it's important for Barry Lonnie Jr. to do those things entering this season and kind of establish the ability to get five to seven yards on a pass play when you need it. Hit Williams for a slant. Hit Ford for an in route five, 10 yards down the field, right? Like those are the type of plays that you need to be able to hit to consistently have an offense that gets you in scoring position, not necessarily a touchdown every time they get the ball, but at least moves the ball and gets into the opponent's territory. And then you kind of win the field position battle. And well, I think there's a lot of mystery around what the offense is going to be in the terms they use. We hear players talk a lot about tempo, 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 and somebody fast. I have a really hard time understanding how Brett Bielma is going to go away from the type of offenses we saw him run a lot at Wisconsin and what he did last year at Illinois to a full spread offense. And I don't think that's what the offense is going to be. I think it's going to have some pro tendencies and maybe it's kind of an offense that is run out of pro style formations, but is maybe run at the tempo of a spread offense that colleges run where You don't give defenses the opportunity to substitute unless you substitute. You don't give defenses an opportunity to see exactly what you're showing pre-snap. Like those are things that Illinois did last year. And I think it allowed opponents to really game plan and scheme against them really well. I mean, think about last year, like you've got Miles Scott on the field at wide receiver and you're thinking, all right, they're running the ball. Like it was just really easy if we know that opposing defensive coordinators know that and if opposing defensive coordinators know that their players know that too they know numbers they can understand what players roles are so while i use the term creativity a lot when describing tony peterson's failures i don't really think screen passes are like creative i don't really think hitting daniel barker on a quick hitter is creative or isaiah williams is creative but those are things that i think Bunny needs to do this year and if he does that i think you're going to see the offense be more successful and To kind of continue the point with Ford, he does need to be better. Let's call a spade a spade. He hasn't lived up to his ranking as a recruit. And you and I are both someone who believes in that talent. He could have gone to the NFL after last season and probably been a late-round draft pick or an undrafted free agent and stuck because of his blocking and his physicality abilities. But if you want to be really successful in the NFL, he's going to have to be better in the past game. And you talked a lot about needing to improve his route running and different areas like that. He also just needs to be more mature and he needs to be understanding of the fact that he is a big part of the Illinois offense. He played more than I think 600 snaps last year at tight end. And he's going to play more snaps than that probably this year, if he's fully healthy and he needs to be involved in the passing game. Does he need to be Rob Gronkowski? Absolutely not. He doesn't even need to be Travis Kelsey or any of those other stud NFL pass catching tight ends be hunter henry type ironically that's a brett bielema tight end from arkansas like those are things that he can accomplish and those are things that he can do and if he does those things and he's trustworthy in that and isaiah williams is a player that we think he can be at wide receiver and you upgrade the floor of a casey washington and a pat bryant and sean miller comes in and contributes maybe the passing offense isn't 14th in the big 10 or 12th in the big 10 maybe it's seventh or eighth or ninth and if it's that then i think the offense is going to be good enough because i trust the running game
0: we keep talking about luke ford and for good reason but i give um i give ben miller a lot of credit with how he handled luke ford luke luke is a very independent spirit as you know and um, <laughs> that's
1: a great way to put it
0: right and uh, ben miller got him to do something he really didn't want to do and that was block you know he's he actually had a he had a good season as a blocker and he'll probably have an you know, probably get even a little bit better this year. Um, he he's, he he went from a guy who's basically strictly a flex tight end to a guy that you can put in line as a traditional tight end and feel good about how his run blocking is going to be. But um, what I think, if Illinois spreads it out five wide and all that stuff, uh, they're going to have a lot of trouble protecting the quarterback. I don't see that happening. You know, Alabama can do it because uh, they got NFL draft picks all the way across their their uh, offensive line, but. You know, I, I, I actually worried about putting Alex, uh, Pal, uh, Pal Palczewski back out at right tackle on the edge, you know, since he injured his knee, he, his lateral quick, is not quite as good. And he had a rough year last year as a, in pass pro, he was really good against, you know, really good blocking for the run, but, uh, in pass protection, he, he really struggled and he's back outside on the edge now where some of those speed rushers are going to, are going to come off the edge at him. And, um, you know, hopefully he can, he can kick it up a notch and he's feeling better this year, uh, but I don't, I don't think they can protect the quarterback. if they're going to spread it out five wide. And, uh, you know, the way, the way the game is changing, I, you know, there, you said you were surprised that Grab Bielema bought into this. Well, there were a lot of holdouts. Uh, there was, there was him, there was, there was uh, Wisconsin. They're not a holdout anymore. Alabama, you know, you had, I mean, you had to twist, their coach's arm to get them to run the spread offense but when they
1: did the famous quote right you know they're just really what we want football to be because if we is, do, I'll, and do it, and I'll, I'll do it I'll do it better
0: but for ever I think the reason they were holdouts is because they all expected the same thing to happen that happened with the veer same thing that happened with the with the wishbone same thing that happened with the with the read option and all that kind of stuff they they figured that oh this is a gimmick offense and defenses are going to adjust and figure it out but they haven't yet and uh you know they've done a whole bunch of stuff with hybrids and and uh you know three 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 five defenses and you know recruiting guys who can play linebacker or play db but they still can't match up with people like like um Alabama has a wide receiver Ohio State has a wide receiver and if you got a good offensive line of quarterback that can deliver the ball and uh, with those guys out in space they're, they're going to move the ball on you that's all there is to it and you just got to hope that they make unforced errors and turn the ball over but the, so Bill, to give him credit you know he came from two slug it out three yards in a cloud of dust programs at Iowa and Wisconsin uh, he saw the writing on the wall he sees the way he sees the way the game is going, and Illinois cannot compete in the Big Ten if they're going to be a Wisconsin from the from the nineteen nineties. They, they just can't. They can't compete. They're not going to get the O linemen um, They're going to, and you know, if, going all the way back way before you were born, when Mike White came to Illinois, um, this type of offense, which was the West Coast offense, the vertical passing game, right my kind of offense throw big, it all over well, the big field. 10 coaches didn't know how to deal with it and that and that uh, mike white was one of the guys that completely changed the game in the big 10 and and ever since there, there's been some wide open offenses there's also been some some boring three yards in a cloud of dust offenses but there's been some spreads too and most notably probably at purdue you know they've had a lot of success over there throwing the ball vertically um so you know he he, he understands changes in the game and I think that's what the years in the NFL did for him when he went to when he went to coach with the Giants and the Patriots he saw what they were doing and how hard it is to defend and he, NFL they have these hybrid guys who played these these uh bandit positions or whatever you want to call them and, and they can they have guys that can run with the wideouts. outs but in in the college game if you got a you got a receiver who can who can quick cut like an Isaiah Williams. He's a very difficult guy to cover in space. Um, but going back to the uh, pass protection, that the, the cohesiveness of this offensive line was, is another one of my keys in the story I have on the front page. And I think the talent level is is fine. It's, it's pretty much where it was last year. Even though you do lose Doug Kramer to, and Darian Lowe to the NFL draft, they, they plugged in guys in their place that are serviceable guys. Uh, that can that can do fine um, but you know can they operate as a unit and this is this new offense with the new offensive coordinator is going to be zone heavy it's going to be you know old school Washington Reds, Redskins and Denver Broncos type of type of um, zone inside outside zone runs which means a lot of combination blocks, a lot of communication that needs to happen between between the guards and the tackles. And uh, you lose Doug Kramer, who was the, who was the leader of that group, the vocal leader. So so I you know they I look for maybe the o Line to get off to a little bit of a slow start and and hopefully hopefully not a slow enough start where they're going to struggle against Wyoming because that you know you hope that that's just a tune up game for them and, and it's a week zero game which is good uh, but um, you know getting those guys to play as one unit is going to be a real um, is going to be a real challenge for Bart Miller.
1: Yeah, I guess my one question, looking at the offensive line, you talked about Alex polchewski I do have some concerns about his ability to play right tackle again. But considering the things that offensive line coach Bart Miller has kind of said, they seem to think he looks like a different player. They seem to little have more confidence in what he's going to be able to do this year. And I also think that they have some depth at tackle that they can put and Isaiah Adams at Juco transfer from Garden City at right tackle if they need to, or they can kind of maneuver guys around on the offensive line because a lot of these players have so much position versatility across the offensive line. So if Pachowski struggles again at right tackle, then you kind of move him back inside because he's definitely one of their top five offensive linemen. You can put him at right guard. You can slide Adams back out to right tackle. Maybe you put your other Juco transfer, Zy Chrysler at right tackle, although he's a little bit more of a guard body, I would say. Um, The one position that really concerns me at offensive line for this team is center. Replacing Dark Kramer is going to be tough. I believe he was a second or third team, all big 10 member a year ago and you're replacing him with Alex Pilstrom, a kid who's a former walk on tight end has really played a lot of positions for the Atlanta across the offensive front. He's played tight end. He's played tackle, he's played guard, and now he's going to move to center and he's playing center this fall, he played center in the spring. They repped him there. That's a really tough position, obviously. And replacing Doug Kramer's production on the field is obviously really difficult, but replacing his leadership and everything in the locker room and on the offensive line, when you talk about communication, I think that that's another really difficult thing to replace. And can Alex Pilstrom do those things? That's a concern that I have looking at what he's going to be able to do because he struggled a little bit in terms of consistent snaps just in the shotgun in the spring game and he was still new to it and he's had a whole summer to work on that kind of stuff he talked about working on his snaps with his mom in the front yard after the spring game kind of a fun story he's definitely worked a lot with Tommy DeVito and Art Sikowski I'm sure this summer just getting those repetitions and getting the activity of snapping and being ready to block like those are things that I'm concerned about him being able to do and I will say you know if he if he isn't successful at it I do think there's some guys on the team that you can kind of shuffle in at center. Maybe Jordan Slaughter. They talked about working him at center. They bring in that transfer, Dylan Davis. He can probably play center as well for Illinois. And, you know, maybe you've got some other guys. Josh Cruz can maybe play center for you if you think he's physically ready and he's big enough. I know he's a little bit smaller than a lot of the guys they've recruited at offensive line since the new staff has gotten here. But the center position is a little bit of a concern to me. I think it's fair to have some minor concerns about what Julian Pearl is going to be at left tackle. We saw him be pretty successful in the run game last year at right tackle, but he struggled on the passing game. So now he moves over to left tackle, a more important position on the line. How successful is he going to be protecting Tommy DeVito's blind side? I think that's a concern that I have. Uh, but like you said, just cohesion I think is really important for this group because you've got a lot of new starters and we didn't even mention replacing a Jack, Badovinack, who I thought was pretty important to what they did a year ago and you know Blake Gerasati was someone who maybe didn't have the greatest year last season but was definitely you know a productive body at times that they could rotate in and while the depth of this position overall is definitely a lot better there are still a lot of guys who I think are kind of unproven at it
0: yeah I think if you put uh, if you put Pilstrom at center you really don't have your best five linemen on the field except Zai Chrysler is probably their fifth best offensive lineman.
1: Yeah, I agree with that and I personally think he might start. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts at guard over Jordan Slaughter.
0: Same. That's kind of yeah, one yeah, of my like him, underdogs. I saw him uh he worked at their camps with some of the other players and he looks fantastic. He's got a whole bunch of weight and he he really looks good. And, you know, he's when he first got here he was way overweight but he's uh worked hard at it and and someone pointed out to me that that was him. I, could, I didn't believe him because he wasn't – he he dropped so much weight and looks looks so good. So I, I think he's got a good chance to start, like you said. The, the I'm have to is- earn
1: that, but I, 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 think he could, I think he could do it. I think he could beat yeah. out a Jordan Slaughter at guard. I think he's probably not going to beat our Isaiah Adams, the other Juco transfer, but I could see him beating out a Jordan Slaughter. And if maybe he beats out Slaughter, maybe Slaughter slides over to center. I don't know. I think – there's those three three guys could battle for really two spots this fall.
0: The thing about Slaughter at center is he doesn't want to play center. So
1: no, he does not.
0: <laughs> yeah, they have, they'd have to do some convincing to get him to play there. But uh, you know, shift, shifting gears a little bit, one of the other things on my list of of um things that they have to improve on, and that and that is uh, finishing drives in the end zone. we were just talking about uh, the number of touchdowns that they had. They didn't. They're first of all, they're they're they're. Red zone conversion rate was one of the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, when it comes to t- touchdowns, they settled for a lot of field goals. They only had, but they only had 31 red zone chances the entire season, uh, and they were one of the worst teams in the Big Ten at third third down conversions, especially third and medium, like third and five, third and six. And, and again, to me, that comes back to play to play call. And we saw so many strange play calls on third and medium with with Tony Peterson, where you're just kind of. Sh- shaking their head where they go right back to the run game with, you know, with Chase Brown or something, and he'd lose yardage or gain one yard or something on third and five. Um, so they got to get, they got to get a lot better moving the chains. They got, and they got to get a lot better at finishing. Um, it wasn't quite as bad as the settling for field goals under Lovey Smith, which became a signature of the Lovey Smith era. And you could, you could hear the crowd at Memorial Stadium just groan every time. the the field goal kicker came on the field on fourth and one or fourth and two, but uh, they, they got to finish drives. And that again, that's on the quarterback play.
1: The emotions under Brett Bielma have switched to groans on fourth and one because they're punting though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think he learned his lesson on that. He's actually responsive to the, to the fan base, I think, because after that he didn't do it again very, very much. Did he? No, he didn't.
1: (laughs) He did it back to back (laughs) weeks, punch it on fourth and one and it might've cost him two wins against Maryland. No doubt.
0: but there I are a lot leave. of things that, there are a lot of things in year one that cost them games that may not happen in year two because you learn from it. There were, you know, there there are uh, unforced errors that they made. Especially three games: Purdue, uh, Maryland, and then uh, Rutgers. Those are three games that they could they could have won if they had just had their crap together for one last drive. And uh, you know, I think they outplayed Rutgers in in the trenches. The defense played great. And those, and those guys on defense were getting really frustrated that the offensive could, offense couldn't help them because they they did enough on that side of the ball to win six games and go to the bowl game. But, um, but it shifted to the defense, man. One thing, you know, we were talking to um, Quan Martin at media days, and uh, I asked him about, you know, where he feels the most comfortable in, in the secondary. And it sounds like they're going to try and uh, replacing Kirby Joseph at free safety. Do, do you think that's a good move?
1: Yeah, I think that putting Quan at the star position makes sense. I think that that's where he's going to end up playing. I think he was successful there last year. And I think this kind of maybe in a bigger sense of the imagination, kind of maybe forecasts the way Ryan Walters and Brett Bielema and the rest of the defensive staff kind of view making changes. It's make one change instead of making two or three changes. Because if you move Quan Martin to free safety, so he's moving, so there's your one change. And then you have to find a new player to play star, so there's your second change, right? And then maybe you have to move some other guys around on the depth chart because of those changes. So I actually kind of like the decision to keep Quan at star. He was successful in that role. He turned into a pretty good cover guy by the end of the year. They're second or third best, I would probably say, behind, obviously, Devin Witherspoon and Tony Adams had a pretty good second half of the year after he lost his starting job early in the year. I like the decision to keep Quan at star, and then I think you can kind of move Kendall Smith and and finally give him that opportunity. And if, you know what? If he struggles, he struggles. And you can put a Keontae Curry in there at free safety, or you can put a Prince Green in there at free safety. Like they have depth at defensive back. And that's one of those positions too, Doug. And you know this as someone who played the position, as someone who also has watched the position a lot. Defensive back is kind of one of the positions where a freshman or someone who's young and hasn't come in and played a lot can kind of contribute and give you. A higher floor, I feel like, because it's a lot of based on just athleticism and being quick, twitch, and being able to keep up with receivers and have good footwork and all those things. Like I think Elazar Cantos is someone who could probably contribute right away as a defensive back. But you know, if, if Kendall Smith struggles, and I kind of think he's a high floor kind of guy at this point at free safety, he's a older, doesn't have a ton of experience, but he understands football. I think he, I think he does have a lot of energy to attack the position, which I think is important. I think that. Kendall gives you a good floor there. And if he ends up struggling, then you just slide in Prince Green. And you kind of get a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more athletic. And maybe someone who you feel like can kind of replicate Kirby Joseph's ability to kind of play center field and pick off passes over the middle or fly over to the sidelines and pick off a pass there as well.
0: well they, they're they going to have to do something to prevent the uh, – boy, Sure, Illinois, Illinois sure misses Kirby Joseph – talk it, it will start hearing that in game two game three and it, you know if guys aren't making plays and they're throwing over the top against the Illinois defense because that defense last year did not give up the deep ball and uh, they kept everything in front of them they made teams kind of dink and dunk and uh, complete the short passes and, and they didn't get it to get them over the top when they tried to get him over the top Kirby Joseph was one of the leaders in the country in the interceptions so replace you know replacing him it's a storyline it's going to be tiresome hearing about um at some point but it is a storyline and they got to fix it but you, you like to have a guy back there that has some length that's playing center field but i but even saying that Sidney brown who's only what about five, 11, six foot there's that there is that option of putting him back at free and then putting keontae curry at strong which is really a more natural position for him he's a real f- a physical kid well-built kid, kid and you know, actually his best position is probably the star, the hybrid position that Juan Martin is playing. And I, I, I really, I've, I've watched Jartavius Martin play corner. I've watched him play safety. And then when you finally find a position where he fits the best and he has a really good breakout season, you kind of want to keep him there. Right. I mean, you don't want to put him back out there on the Island where he, you know, his lack of quick twitch and the didn't really have the the hips uh, kind of um, hurt him out on the corner but he he found a niche you know where he has everything in front of him where he's on the strong side of the field where the ball's coming straight at him and he can shed some blocks and make a play and he's a real physical kid and and um, you know Quan he's a smart football player really smart kid yeah. you know and he's a leader he's a leader out there and I, I would not want to stick him back at a position where he struggled early, earlier in his career you know it Shifting gears again, up uh, up front, I like the talent on the defensive line, you know, in that 3-4. The nose tackle position, of course, is a big position battle in training camp, but uh, you love uh, uh, Keith Randolph and uh, and uh, Johnny Newton, two up-and-coming young players that are really good athletes inside. But what about depth? Alec, like, what are you going to be looking for on that D-line behind those, those two guys at tackle?
1: Yeah, I think last year we talked a little bit early in the show, we talked about it a little bit about, you know, Jamal Woods, I think is a solid replacement. If you can count on him to be healthy. I don't know if you want to count on him to be a starter for you. So I think keeping Keith Randolph and keeping Johnny Newton healthy is really, really important heading into this season. And we saw Keith Randolph kind of have that injury last year. Did he miss two or three games? I don't remember. He kind of thought he had a pretty serious knee injury. I think it ended up just being a sprain but he ends up returning and having a pretty good second half of the year. He returns to number 88. Uh, he didn't like the way zero looked on the, on his jersey in the spring. So he was returning to number 88 for all you traditionalists who like big numbers for defensive linemen. But yeah, I think he is really important. Staying healthy. Yeah, I think same with Johnny Newton. I think Randolph is probably the better player of the two. I think he showed a little bit more consistent. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, but think about how productive Johnny Newton was At certain things last year like he's pretty good at getting off the ball he's got good burst you know former high school running back and was a really good running back in high school I believe he was like a player of the year or something like that on his area um so I I think those two are a really good one too it's Jamal Woods trusted enough to be able to rotate with those two and get those guys breathers when they need it and then also Bryce Barnes is someone that they have it defensive end that they kind of feel like they're confident in. I feel like he's played a lot of football for Illinois over the past few years. He's bounced around to different positions. I think he kind of feels a little bit comfortable and now he's a little bit older. He's stronger, probably more there physically now that he's had more time to really work in with the defensive ends, get used to that nutrition and the diet stuff, but also put on the necessary weight through muscle work and flexibility and all that stuff um, with tank right in the strength and conditioning program. So I think that you kind of look across the board at defensive end and it's thin, but if they stay healthy, I don't think it's the worst group um, across that front end. And I would ask you like defensive tackle wise, like who do you think is going to end up leading that group? I think you have a really interesting combination of players with Calvin Avery, a former four-star talent has struggled to consistently put it together, but has flashed in his career. then you bring in a couple of transfers and Rashawn Wilkins from Vanderbilt probably played the most out of any of them. Um, especially in the SDC, that's something that you always like to bring in, but, you know, you also have a T right Edwards who sounds like he might miss a little bit of start of training camp, but could be ready for the start of the season as he suffered a little bit of a knee injury as well. Um, and then you have Vertus Brown who they moved back to that spot as well. So there's, you know, there's four guys there, but you end up seeing being the one who kind of takes over the role and earnest. Cause I think that's a really important position. And I think the loss of Rod Perry probably gets overlooked a little bit because he did so much in the run game last year.
0: Well, that's an understatement to call nose tackle in a 3-4 defense one of the most important because it's really the most important position uh, uh, on first and second down. You have to be a two-gap guy big enough to play two gaps at the nose tackle position and be a be a, a disruptor when it comes to the running game and then be able to bull rush and collapse the pocket and make a guy uh, you know, uh, try to escape up, up the middle. The, the most talented kid they have in there and has been is, is Calvin Avery. But the problem, the problem with Calvin Avery is, he when he if he goes if it's a long series and he goes too many plays in a row, he gets gassed and he's just not the same guy. It, you know, if he could if he could be as fresh as he is when he first comes on the field, he'd be he'd be a really good player at nose tackle. He's a he's a wrecking ball when he's fresh. He's quick, he's strong, he's big. You know, you you know, people talk about his weight. I don't really worry as much about his weight because he like to have a big, a great big guy in there. I, I would just worry about his, his stamina more than his weight. Uh, you know, his, his uh, cardio and uh, he just, he can't stay out there for very long and he gets tired his legs get tired and he's not the same player. And but he's the most talented guy and he's in that's a coaching challenge for him for coach Jamison to try to pull something out of that kid. And what he's really got to do is he got to sit down with Calvin Avery and tell him, look, you want to play, you want to make money playing football. This is your money year. Because if you, you have a good year this year, you got a chance to get drafted. You got a chance to sign and play professional football, but not if you keep doing things the way you've been doing for the first three or four years. Uh, they got to have that talk, and hopefully they've had it already. But he's the best player. Virtus, Virtus Brown gained a whole bunch of weight since he came to Illinois. He's just not been the same guy. You know, when we, we first saw him at a camping satellite camp in Chicago, when Illinois was scouting him, he was he was phenomenal. He was around 265. He was a strong side defensive end and really quick off the ball and strong. Now he's just a big body in there and um, he gets pushed around because he, he, he can't turn that quickness to power anymore. You know, he is big and strong, but um, he doesn't have a very good get off. But uh, Keith Randolph is the guy to watch for pro scouts this year. This was, pro- I think this is probably Keith's last year in college football, myself. You know, I, you know, if he has a decent year, you look at his measurables, this guy, he's going to go to uh, the, the combine or go to individual workouts or, the, or the pro day and kill it. You know, he's going to kill it with the, with the bench press reps. He's going to kill it with 40. Uh, he's going to kill it with, kill it on the um, uh, shuttle run. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal athlete. He was a basketball player, turned football player. It took Wait, him a he while played before.
1: basketball? I he didn't know that. Off.
0: Keith Randall played basketball.
1: Are you sure? Yeah.
0: Where are you from again? Uh, Sorry. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. He did play basketball. If Keith's listening, there's two to this, guys probably, from
0: Metro East, Two guys from Metro East he's Probably a little upset
1: that, with me that I that played, questioned he played his big football.
0: That was phenom- That were phenomenal in high school basketball, but were second fiddles. And that's the kid from Edwardsville, and then there's Keith Randolph at Delville West. And, and uh, Epinesa is the guy you're looking for. Epinesa was just unbelievable on the basketball court. I and mean, yep. the guy he could stand underneath the basket and jump up and dunk it two-handed and you just I mean we went there I, I sat down with um, an Illinois coach and what football coach who was scouting the game and they had they had no chance to get up his dad's from Iowa he's going to Iowa ever since he's in eighth grade but uh, he was there watching it anyway and and uh and uh he's like oh my god that kid is <laughs> unbelievable I said he's gonna be a top five draft pick And he he was still just a junior in high school at the time, playing with Mark Smith on the Edwardsville basketball Mm -hmm. team. Um, And I actually coached against AJ Eponiza when I was coaching Little Panthers football in O'Fallon. And and the kid crushed us. He was about a foot taller than everybody else on on our team. But um, Keith, yeah, Keith, I think uh, Keith's goal is to break out this year and have an NFL-type year and, and go to the draft, I think that's good you know he hasn't said that openly to anybody but but he's got you know it's got to be in the back of his mind because he he is that kind of player he's going to be really good um what about breakout players like they need they need somebody really on both sides of the ball especially a wide receiver um and and maybe and maybe a pass rusher after losing a couple of their top pass rushers Who, who do you think is going to be poised to break out this year
1: yeah, I don't know if you'll accept this answer, but I hope you do. I'm gonna go on the defensive side of the ball first, which is odd because I'm normally an offense first guy, but I'm gonna go with the defense and hopefully you accept this answer. I'm gonna go Seth Coleman. Um, I feel like we've heard a lot about him the last couple of years in terms of his potential, his ceiling as a player. He's a good athlete, really long arms. And he did start last year and had a couple good games. I'd have to pull up his numbers just to have him in front of me again to see all those, but I think he had a sack or two. Um, he had a couple tackles for loss, I know. And I, I believe that Seth Coleman, if healthy, could have a pretty good year at outside linebacker for Illinois replacing Isaiah Gay at that rush spot. Um, and the, also the guy who kind of steps back into coverage a little bit. I think they call it like a fox and a buck um, at outside linebacker. He's more in that fox role as the one who's a little bit faster, um, probably a little bit quicker quicker twitch and can drop into coverage if need be Isaiah Gay did that a little bit last year Um, whereas Owen Carney on the other side was your rush guy your buck that was kind of really a traditional strong side defensive end in the grand scheme of things is what Kevin Kane had him doing but I think that Seth Coleman is my guy um, on the defense that I could see kind of breaking out. I've always liked Quan. I've always liked Quan Martin's potential at star. Like I said, I've always been really high on Devin Witherspoon, but I feel like those are two guys who have been successful in their career. And if you're looking for another guy on the defense, I've always been high on Tariq Barnes at linebacker too. good blitzer, really good in the run game. But if he's able to improve in the pass game, I'm interested to see what his ceilings like. And I think I'm also just really interested to see what Calvin Hart's able to do, assuming he's healthy, coming off that ACL injury. He was really impressive, let's call it what we saw in that Nebraska game. He was impressive in his first game in an Illinois uniform, and he's on the Buckets watch list. Probably maybe not deserving of that. Maybe didn't show enough last year not to – disrespectful to Calvin Hart but I don't know if he deserves to be on that list maybe Dick Buckus has some sway in that I'm sure he does a little bit the awards named after him and he obviously went to Illinois but I think with that fully healthy Calvin Hart if he's able to produce at a level close to that I don't think it's fair to expect him to be that kind of player every single game at linebacker otherwise he might be winning Dick Buckus award but definitely Seth Coleman Um, and then those two starting linebackers I'm really intrigued to see if they kind of take an impressive step this coming year on the defensive side Um, who do you have on the offensive side
0: Ooh, put me on the spot. Um,
1: the, the offense is tough. That's really why it's like defensive. You know, Casey, I Washington,
0: Casey Washington is not a kid that you watch practice and think big play guy because he's he's a possession receiver. But I love his uh, smarts. I love his confidence, his leadership abilities. He's, he's got a, a positive cockiness that you love. Good hands. At, you know, wide receiver, good possession receiver, good hands. And now they got an offense where they're going to get the ball out quick. So he doesn't have to blow by guys. You know, he just has to have a pretty good release, run a, a nice tight route, and uh, and kind of sit, you know, just sit in the open space where if he finds an open spot in the defense, if they're playing zone, and and um, and he should have quite a few catches. hes I don't think he's going to stretch the field and he's not going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, but he's hes a guy I think could have 50, 60 receptions if he threw the ball that much. You know, maybe not quite that many. I think Isaiah had, what, 52 or something like that. So, you know, maybe he could be in the 30, 40 catch catches and, and have a nice season. Uh, who's the kid, the tall kid that was a freshman last year, a uh, wide receiver. I like, like him. I can't remember his name. Brian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brian. Brian's very talented. He's a, he's a, um, a red zone type receiver who can high point the ball, really big kid with good hands, uh, not really a quick cut kind of guy, more of a, more of a one cut and go a uh, type of receiver, but the, you can throw it over the top to him. I think he's going to have a pretty decent year. Um, uh, but I, I'd like to comment on some of your defensive guys, if that's okay. All right, go for it. Uh, Seth Coleman with him, uh, Coleman's always been a really good space player. He's a phenomenal athlete. The guy can run like, run like a deer. And, uh, run he, like a fox.
1: He plays the fox there position. There you go.
0: Runs. <laughs> Are foxes that fast? I don't know. They're quick. I don't More know. quick and fast. Sure, we'll but, call it um, that way. Like a cheetah. Maybe she'd call it the cheetah position. But he's, cheetah uh, and buck. He, um, he's fast in space. He can run guys down. He runs sideline to sideline. But when he has issues is when he gets locked up by, a, by an offensive tackle. You know, if he doesn't keep that outside arm free, like we've been teaching guys to do ever since Pee Wee football, then he has some problems getting blocked. But uh, he plays the run extremely well. He's, he may probably plays the run as good as any linebacker that they have had a bunch of tackles. And he can have a breakout break year if he's had enough strength and the technique to get off of blocks is the big, is the big thing. And, you know, I want to see, I want to see him when he gets by the, the offensive tackle, I want to see him run through a, a running back and put him on his ass and go after the quarterback and be aggressive. You know, if he can do that, he can have a really, he can have a really good year. You know, he's going to be good against the run and you know, he's going to be good dropping into coverage because he's a, he's six four ish, really good lateral speed. And he gets out there in the flat can really cover. And then a the other guy you mentioned, Tariq Barnes. I love Tariq Barnes, and and I feel sorry for the kid because he had his breakout game two years ago uh, when the, the starter got injured and he came in and Jake, that and was Jake first Jake got injured. Game he was the, year at the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week and showed you know showed that sideline to sideline speed and aggressiveness. Really good tackler. Another smart kid. When you talk to Tariq to, to Barnes, he gets it. you know he knows the game. Uh, it took him a while, I think. He's always been a space player on the outside at Illinois. He played inside at, in high school. At Illinois, he was on the outside, and then they changed to the 3-4, now he's an inside linebacker. So, you know, the, the vision looks a lot different playing on the inside. Things come right at you, and you have to be able to read and react, fill your gap, use your hands to shed blocks. It took him a little while, I think, to do that at the Big Ten level. But now that he is, he, he's, a, he's a really good player. If he stays healthy, he's probably – he'll be one of the leading tacklers on the team just because that, that position, you're right there where they run the ball at you and you should get a lot of tackles. C.J. Hart, um, I, I picked him for my Defensive Player of the Year for Illinois. He's, a, he's not spectacular. He doesn't wow you with uh, on the hoof. He, you don't take a look at him and go, you know, whoa, who's that guy? But he's just he – he's at the right spot at the right time, and he's the only guy on the defense who was the national defensive player of the year of the week because Illinois was the only team that played in in week zero. So they had to pick an Illinois defender and it was CJ Hart.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I like a lot of what you said there about Craig Barnes. I just think he's a good player. He doesn't tend to make a lot of mistakes. He could be better in the past game, but I think he's a good player. And he's been kind of stuck behind Jake Hansen a little bit at that inside linebackers position the last couple of years. And now it's fully his position and he doesn't have to worry about Jake coming back and taking it away. Um, and obviously Jake was a good player too, but just kind of struggled with the injuries. And that's when Tariq got a lot of his opportunities, but I'm excited to see what kind of role he's able to play this kind of year now stepping into that full-time starters position. And I do think they're going to miss a Kalon Tolson backer. linebacker. Um, he was a pretty consistent player as well last year. And, that that's up to heart to kind of replace that kind of consistency and that production. He's a and
0: scary looking guy on the hoof. Huge,
1: yeah. one of the most physically <laughs> impressive people I've ever seen in my life is Kalen yes. Tolson. That guy's chest is bigger than my head. Um, but yeah, I'll give you another quick one. Um, give me like two or three freshmen that you think could contribute this year. I'll give you a few of mine. I think you could see Aiden Lawfree potentially return kicks. I think you could see him being used a little bit as a speed back. Um, kind of like what they did with Jakari Norwood a year ago, if you want someone who's a faster guy out of the backfield than Chase Brown or Josh McCray, So I'll give you Aiden Loffrey um, on the offensive side and on the defensive side. I talked a little bit about Elijah McCantos earlier, but I'm actually going to swerve in a little bit of a different direction. Give me Jared Beatty or Gabe Hawkins. It's one of those two at outside linebacker. I could see them contributing. In that buck spot, that's going to be occupied mostly by Ezekiel Holmes entering training camp. But I could see one of those two kind of get in an opportunity at that buck position on outside linebacker. So I'm going to go one of those two um, on the defensive side of the ball.
0: I love McCantos. I've liked him ever since I recruited him out of high school. He's a future NFL corner. It's just a matter of what, you know, how his rehab has gone on his shoulder, I think, um, surgery that he had. It was a previous injury, torn labrum from from high school and they had to fix it but if he's fully healthy and has been able to get back in the way room and get in shape he's got a great chance to play he's he's got cover skills um that you can't teach and you talked about for fresh db being a good spot for a freshman that's true of safety but cornerback at uh, covering big 10 receivers is one of the hardest things to do you know in the game and uh but he's got that uh, that coverage ability and the ability to turn and run with the guys i like i like him a lot you know he's going to have a similar trajectory as as a, as Devin Devin Witherspoon, but probably a little bit better. Um, I think it's just a matter with Gabe Jockus is just a matter of time, learning the game, learning you know, figuring things out uh, mentally because physically the kid is he's ready to he is ready to go. The, he he came on campus very similar to Bobby Roundtree. If you remember, Roundtree was a skinny kid, and he spent the offseason lifting weights, getting in shape, and he showed up looking like a, a monster his first freshman season. Uh, same thing with Jockus. Jockus was big when we first saw him when they were recruiting him, but now he he just he looks great. And um, Brett Bielma commented on him during Big Ten media days and said he's going to really surprise people. Jared Beatty has it physically. You just um, what you want to see out of him is some toughness, you know, and cons- consistent aggressive play. In high school, he. He was, he was kind of hidden and miss. He turned it on, turned it off. But if, if he's consistent and aggressive, he's going to be a good player. Um, Aiden Lowry, yes, he'll be a return man. But I think they, they, they're they actually going to play Isaiah Williams at punt return, I, b- I believe. And they brought in the trans, the transfer kid. Jonah um, Morris. No, the other one that they just got.
1: Um, oh, Solo Turner.
0: Keep trying. No, there's an yeah
1: solo oh no uh yeah the kid from uh um, yeah he, south dakota
0: yeah that's the kid the one from south dakota he's a punt returner too.
1: cody cody case is that what it is cody
0: case thank you yes cody with a k and case with a c yeah he's a he's a punt returner too so you may may or not see lowry out there but they you want to get guys on the field that have that kind of quick twitch ability and you're right he's an all-purpose guy that you could see him in slot you could see him Uh, jet sweeps. You could see a tailback on third down situations, Um, but yeah, he's going to play. I think they're going to play him. I don't think they have any intention of redshirting.
1: Yeah. And then I guess probably one last thing we should talk about here is you kind of hit on it a little bit there with the special teams in the return game. Now the kick return game, I don't really think is that big of a concern because one, the college rules for kickoffs and kick returns kind of de-emphasize the idea of returning kicks. Um, Don't tell that to, Charlie Jones, who transferred to, um, you know, Purdue this offseason to return a kick for Iowa last year against Illinois. That might have been the difference in the game. But I don't really think the kick return game is a huge concern just because there's so many touchbacks with where guys kick off from. But then also you can fair catch, which kind of de-emphasizes the idea of kick returns. Uh, but I do kind of expect to see Illinois kind of use law for back there. We talked about um, South Dakota's State transfer case there as a partner returner could see him in that same role. Uh, they had Joshua Cray returning kicks or punts at the, at the spring game. That's kind of an interesting one, to be honest. I yes. wouldn't do it, but he doesn't have the speed, but like tackling him, I guess. Um, but where I kind of wanted to focus more with this was the specialist in terms of the kicker and the punter. I think there might actually be a little bit of a competition at kicker. Um, with Caleb Griffin, he needs to be more consistent. He struggled in the spring game, and the format they had in the spring game probably isn't the best in terms of putting kids in a position to be successful because it's just very unrealistic. It's kind of like a rapid fire. Get as many kicks in as you can and make as many of them as you can. But if he's able to be consistent, then that's huge. He should probably win the job. He doesn't need to be like James McCourt, though, the last few years and be able to drill, you know, 45, 53-yard kicks. Just make the kicks that are you know, you're 35 to 45 yards and be good at those. If you got the ability to make a long kick from 51, 52 yards, that's great. But that's just kind of gravy at this point. Uh, if he gives you that, that's awesome. And then punter, I think replacing Blake Hayes is definitely something that'll be tough. Gave Illinois a lot of consistently consistency. The last couple of years was a really good punter for the Illini. Um, but you bring in another Australian and Hugh Robertson at punter, and you just kind of want someone who just gives you consistency at punter. Don't screw up. Don't drop the snap. Don't get it blocked. Don't do, don't shank it. You know, if you don't do those things, you're going to be fine as punter, right? Like you can just, just don't kick it at the people who can return it for you, uh, return it far against you and don't shank it. I feel like you're a good punter. Is that, is that a, is that too high of a bar?
0: Well, what you're not going to see is the directional punting ability that you saw with the last guy, because there's, there's, no, there's no one I've ever seen that can put the ball inside the 10 yard line. Like that guy, on a consistent basis, maybe some of it was just pure luck, but he just kept he kept doing it over and over. It was phenomenal. You know, it's like it rolls it rolled out of the two yard line again. If it, if it goes out around the ten, you're surprised because he usually puts it in way inside the ten. Um, I, it's going to be a positive thing that we don't have to see the Illinois punter is the MVP tweets with you know, now, hopefully, but we we shouldn't we shouldn't, we shouldn't see those we shouldn't. But um, I think the, the kid they have now is is uh, pretty decent. He doesn't boom him. He's not going to be an all American punter, but he he doesn't shank him either, like you said. He's pretty consistent. Gets pretty decent hang time, so he's good. He's good enough. He's not going to be an all conference guy. But uh, the kid they recruited a kicker out of Chicago is going to be a really 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 good kicker. Um, um David Alano. Yeah, Alano. He's he's one of the top five high school kickers in in the country. He went to um. Some of the kicking camps, Cole's kicking camp, and they have him number number two, I think, in the country, and another one has him number one. Um, so he he's going to be really good. I watched him at the Illinois camp, booming him from forty five yards, and uh, they didn't move him back after that. But they were going through at the top of the goalpost, so he can he can really get a leg into it. Um, well, Alec, I guess that's about it, man. And uh, uh, you know, this time of year, what, what I really loved about Camp tool and the fully open practices, I would get all geared up, right? I'd put on my sunscreen and, and <laughs> have my turf shoes on and a hat and everything. And I'd going out there like you were going to practice. It was uh, then go out there and stand for three hours in the 90 degree heat and, and pound down uh, Gatorades. But it was so much fun to be able, just to be able to watch the whole practice and report. The main thing was come back to the message boards and report what you saw to to the subscribers and give them a lot of details on what the two deep looked like, who stood out in practice and all that kind of stuff. Um, But you can't do that now. It's the way of the world. We'll get to see 15 minutes tomorrow. And uh, this is a great time of year. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, training camp is always fun. I think as much as we like to maybe not complain, but just kind of wish we had more access to watch some practice. I will say Coach Bielma does a good job of opening up his availability and the coaching staff's availability and the ability to talk to the players in these couple of weeks, which allows us a good opportunity to one, learn more about them and build a relationship with them, but also gives us an opportunity to write a lot of different stories and get a lot of different alumni football content up on the website. And that's obviously something that's important that we look forward to doing here in the couple weeks. And
0: yeah, your comment about Bielema, uh, you know, his, his personality is infectious on that staff too. There's, there's not really a guy on that staff or who's, who's not, personable and open with us and it just it, they seem like they really seem like they're happy and content in their jobs you know like um and, and they never seem to have a bad day they're always the same guy every day and uh, that's really especially that's, now um, that
1: tony peterson's gone i agree with all that
0: tony tony let the pressure get to him a little bit he's a good guy though i liked him he's just uh yeah he let it he let the he just
1: uh, he wasn't very helpful for us on monday No, well, he
0: wasn't it was co- it was all coach speak kind of stuff he had pat answers that he would give every week but but uh, I think he paid attention to the stuff people say on social media, too, and let it let it get under his skin a little bit. And, and I don't blame him. I would, too. I wouldn't be able to handle that crap. But um, uh, it's a whole new year, new offense, and uh, can't wait for the opening against Wyoming. And then uh, basketball's coming. And that's going to be really, in my 12 years here, I'm looking forward to that basketball season more than any other season just because of all the new players. And it's exciting to see these guys – uh, especially the backcourt players are so dynamic and it's, it's a guards game in college basketball and can't wait to see uh, sky and Jay Nebs and, uh, and Ty Rogers and all those guys get out there and, and go after it. So thanks again, Alec. And um, we'll do this again sometime shortly in the middle of camp and uh, thanks Illinois fans for listening.